Welcome to DT Madness, Chronicles from the Third Life, Episode 2, April 9th, 2022. So glad you could make it. Today's episode is Tennis is Life. I've learned a lot about tennis over the past couple of years. The differences in strings and how tight or the gauge or how thick and different types of rackets. Um, shoes, my son wears a hole through his toe every month or two. I've learned about hitting forehands with top spin and our coach teaches a two-handed backhand, but one of our guys hits it one-handed so lovely. Um, it'd be interesting to think about all of the specific aspects of equipment and the details and the specs and compare that to life. But for today, it'll be a little bit more meta. Our tennis story, my tennis story starts a long time ago. My mom and dad would take uh, us over to play tennis at Gardner Webb, and they had the old school wooden rackets with the small heads the kinds like Connors and McEnroe and Everett Lloyd and Navratilova would use. But fast forward a couple of years ago, my oldest boy tried out for middle school baseball and he didn't make the cut. And that has been a beautiful thing for us because he went out and tried tennis and has been highly successful. And we just, we love the culture. We love the culture of the sport. Um, My youngest boy started playing in sixth grade, and my daughter started playing this year as a ninth grader as well, so we are definitely about that tennis life. My oldest son, Sam, he and his three guys have played together since seventh grade, and they've been in the top um, four or five and won the conference championship in eighth grade and have played together through COVID, through injury, through all these different types of setbacks and and victories. And they, uh, we have nicknamed them the Four Horsemen. Their last couple tournaments are coming up. But anyway, this is a a three-set affair. Today's episode, um, Tennis is Life. And much like Robert Persig might say in Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, that his book isn't really about Zen or motorcycle maintenance. Perhaps that will apply here today as well with tennis and life. But we'll start off in set one, and and I've labeled set one kindness. The etymology of the word kindness is something that I gleaned from Mr. Persig as well. I've read his books in in The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance uh, probably a dozen times now. But the etymology of kindness uh, is rooted in the word kin, Um, It comes from the Old English, which means nation and um, or kin, family. And that's the best part about set one for me. When when I watch my kids go out to play, um, you know, this is high school tennis, middle school tennis. So the pressures, the systemic pressures of making money or, you know, endorsements and all that kind of stuff. That's not the tennis life I'm talking about. But Sam will go out and he'll just start bantering with his opponent. You know, they're 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 asking each other's you know names and um, laughing and making jokes and talking about how long they've played and what what else is going on in life and 
um, there's a respect, you know, there's a level of respect that each player gives. And maybe one of the, the coolest things about it all is that they call their own lines. You know, they're, the, the player themselves are, the players are responsible for calling ins and outs. And for the most part, uh, through six, seven years of watching these kids play, they always err on, you know, calling it in, even if it's close. They don't try to take the advantage. Um, there's an honor there. Uh, even when they miss it, it's not with intent, you know. It's, uh, it is. It's beautiful. There's the thing in set one, two, where you hit that great shot. You know, you hit that one-handed backhand down the line or, you know, you return the serve in doubles down the forehand alley or the drop shot is just precise with enough spin to uh, cause your opponent to have to run and not quite get there before it bounces twice. The overhead at the net, um, that smash that, you know, certainly fills you with all of the adrenaline. And then having those shots even acknowledged and congratulated by your opponent. There's a, that's a good feeling that comes along with that. But, you know, in, in set one, it's it's also laughing off a shot. Sometimes you uh, you hit it with the frame. We make jokes that we, you know, we paid for the whole racket anyway, so you might as well use the frame sometimes. Or you go for that overhead that's clear, a clear winner, and you pound it right into the net. Um, your drop shot is a little too much, and then the other opponent rips it down the line. Or you hit a serve, and it doesn't even hit in the court at all. It just goes all the way to the fence. But being able to laugh those shots off, being able to laugh at yourself, what an amazing ability, what an amazing thing to learn from the game of tennis because that's difficult. When you mess up, it's difficult to laugh at yourself, but how much freedom does that give? They play doubles too, and and the the ability to communicate with each other. Perhaps a bad shot was hit by the opponent. Perhaps the other team is 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 doing really well. Um, whatever it is, that level of communication, both spoken and unspoken, that happens. It's it's like a dance. Um, you, there's a, an energy that's shared, a positive a positive energy, and there's this kind of you know even when one one partner is struggling, the other one grabs the other one by the collar and lifts them up. And it's a it's a great thing that we find in set one. Being able to move to the next point, whether you hit a good shot or a terrible shot or it was a long rally or a short point, being able to let that point pass and then move on and focus on the point that is current um, is an amazing thing of freedom and kindness. And maybe even better as parents watching the match, being able to move on to the next point as a parent, realizing that when our kids or our kids' partners make a mistake, they're not doing it on purpose. They're not doing it intentionally. They are trying to make the best shot. They want to win just as much as I do watching them play. And and there's a, a, a solid realization, too, that if I can move on to the next point as a parent and also have this kind of humility that, that I realize that my old man body, my 44-year-old uh, self, um, certainly couldn't make these shots. 
that these kids are playing. So being able to move on to the next point, you know, bantering with the opponent, laughing off the shot, the communication that goes on, set one, kindness. I think we take that set. I think that's a winner for us. And so we're up one to zero. But it's a three-set affair. And now we head into set two. And set two, I call despondency. The word means losing heart or losing courage. And I've heard both of my kids, all of my kids say it. Um, but both of my boys this season, I've heard them say this particular phrase that I got in my own head. And that's the opposite of laughing off the point. You know, that when you hit that stretch where none of your shots seem to be going in and you can't laugh off the mistakes and move on, but instead you get into your own head and you begin to question your ability. You begin to get frustrated with yourself or with your partner. Your body language changes. You know, Sam likes to slam his racket on his on his foot. Um, I, I joke with him that one of these days he's going to miss and hit himself in the ankle. Um, but your body language changes, your, your whole mood changes, uh, and then that creates a vicious cycle where you, you can't, it, it's difficult anyway to pull yourself, to pull yourself out of it. And so then you continue to make poor shots. The reaction to cheating, this is one that maybe I could do a whole episode on. It's something that I've been thinking of, like, why are we so quick to perceive that someone else is cheating? Why are we so quick to to believe that someone called a line out or that, you know, something, some type of disadvantage was created? This is kind of the opposite of respecting your opponent. When you believe that they are a cheater, when you believe that they have some ill intent and that they just didn't you know, miss the call. But we get frustrated with that, too. And that leads us to continue to lose heart and lose courage. And, you know, I'm guilty of this, too, as the parent. Um, I've been hollering that mostly at the middle school matches, but it's uh, and, and in both cases, it wasn't that I was wrong. You know, in, in one match, the coach was calling the lines for the player, and that's not how it works. And I spoke up on my son's behalf louder, perhaps, um, than I should have. I, look, I wasn't yelling at the girl. I wasn't yelling at the eighth grade girl that he was playing. I was talking to the coach, and I wasn't yelling, all right? I was just talking loudly. And the other instance was the coach went to um, to advise his team his team member and it wasn't a changeover you you only can coach your player when uh, uh when the games are at odd you know like it's a uh, one to zero or two to one and then the players change sides um, but in this case it was two to two and they were staying on the same side and the the coach went up to to uh talk to his player and i made a passive aggressive i'm trying to get out of that i've done that in my life some but but it's it's with decent intent anyway for me because I want to protect my kid. I want there to be some sense of fairness. I want him to win, but more than that, I don't want him to be cheated, I guess. Um, but then that gets me in the despondent zone, and I'm sure rubs off on my seventh grader as he's just trying to enjoy the game. 
but that kind of leads like where these expectations of of perfection come from from especially as a parent watching a kid who's played just a couple of years at a mid-level i mean we're not talking about high level tennis here in psychology i teach ap psychology um at the high school and one of the things we talk about is the fundamental attribution error uh, which is where we put a lot of blame on somebody's personal um, characteristics and and not enough on the situation so you know if somebody cuts you off in traffic then it's because they're a jerk not because they really had to rush home to you know be with to, to take care of an emergency of some sort and so oppositely or uh when when it's us we're more likely to to blame the situation or to give credit to the situation. And um, that's called the actor observer bias. You can look them up, but we do that with tennis. You know, if my son makes a bad shot um, or his partner or whatever, then I'm, I'm like, Oh, come on, what are you doing? There's this, there's this grumbling that goes along as if my son is a terrible person for actually missing a tennis shot that the pros miss. Despondency. And, you know, tennis scoring is fun. It's it's weird, I know. It goes from love to 15 to 30 to 40. What happens? Uh, I, I, I have not looked up where all that originated. But there there's an aspect to tennis where every point doesn't count. You know, if it's 15-0 or love 15, then it's easy to just kind of settle in, to forget that this may be the last point. There are some maybe wild circumstances that could lead that to be true. But most often, it isn't the last point. And so we do, though. We settle in and kind of become numb. And, and that's okay. Settling is, in is okay and, and often necessary. You can't be hyper-focused on the moment all the time. There has to be some type of, of flow going on. And so, you know, that can begin to wear us down or we can just get into a daze and lose our focus and, and forget to notice the point that we're in, forget to smell the roses, so to speak. But the good thing about tennis is that when your opponent hits that blazing forehand down the line that you weren't expecting, then it'll, it'll wake you up. The last point in this set for despondency in set two is something that's I've found to be true, and that's that anticipation, that dread, that anticipation of what's to come is often way worse than the actual moment, even in defeat. We had hopes this year of winning the conference championship. We were coming in strong. Our guys are really good. But an, another school called South Point, they, they, they moved into our conference, and we had heard about them. And, and all week long, I had this sense of nervousness and doom almost like man we we should be winning the conference championship but these guys are really good and they're probably going to beat us and i just had this negative attitude this negative body sense that i couldn't get rid of and we lost we did the thing that i expected happened the thing that i dreaded happened but you know in the moment it really wasn't as bad as i had made it out to be and that's a real thing in life, isn't it? I know if it is for me, I struggle so much with this anticipation and thinking about and coming up with negative uh, scenarios and worst case scenarios and 
That leads to a ton of anxiety for me. This dread of the future. I don't so much dwell on the past, but there's there's some of that too. But these things in set two and despondency, getting in your own head, not being able to laugh the shot off, you know, losing respect and accusing each other of cheating and these parental expectations and parents acting way worse than the kids, those kinds of things. Um, the anticipation that leads to dread. Yeah, set two, I think, is a, is an L for us. And so here we are tied up one to one going to the final set, which is which is a tiebreaker in high school tennis, uh, just a tiebreaker to 10. But before that, we'll, we'll take a little rest. Just be, uh, we'll take a little rest and head into a bit of a break. A new uh, component I want to add in to DT Madness is uh, some polls, perhaps some questions, nothing related at all, just a little bit of a break from from the norm. Um, oh, it's too, smooth, too soon to quote Will Smith. Um, anyway, I've got four. I only had three, but I, I added one in. What do you think? What's better? What do you like better? Like that perfectly executed high five, like spontaneous, something really good happened. You both go for it. You connect, you know, just that perfect slap, high five, so much of a rush versus that smooth fist bump, you know, where you're walking by, you connect just right. You're both going for it at the same time. It's smooth. It's calm. Yeah, you know. What do you think? High five, fist bump. Number two, what do you, what do you think? Would you rather sit on a summer day with the sun out? and watch the trees dance. I'm looking out my window right now. The, the trees are turning green and, and, and it makes the limbs dance a little bit. Or would you be sitting on the porch in the summertime while it's, while it's raining, listening to those raindrops? What do you think? Sunny day with the wind and the trees or a nice rainy afternoon to cool things down in the summer? The third one's kind of weird, maybe, but uh, you ever wear socks all day long? I hate wearing socks, but when I wear socks all day long and I finally get home at the end of a long day, whoo, that first time where you take those socks off, yeah, that's something. I do enjoy that feeling. Or versus when you lay down that first time into the bed. I'm talking about this is time to go to bed, time to go to sleep, and you just crawl up under the covers. I know I'm getting old because I'm that guy. Every time I lay down, I can't even stop it. Every time I lie down in the bed, I'm like, oh, yeah, I give out the the, the audible groan. The, it feels so good to be laying down. So what do you think? Taking those socks off after a long day, lying down in bed for that, for that nighttime. The final one I'm adding in, how do you start your fire? What's your, what's your campfire go-to method? I know that there's a lot of people who like the Lincoln Log. I'm going to tip my hand on this one, though. I, I, I prefer the TP method. I don't know which one's more effective, but I like the look of it. So what do you think? How do you start your campfires? How do you start your, your backyard campfires? TP method, stacking them all around, or do you Lincoln Log style? You can hit me up and let me know. I said it. I said hit me up. But I do have a Twitter feed. Uh, it is at DTMadness96. Um, at DT Madness 96, or you can hit me on Instagram 
DT underscore madness. I'm on Facebook as well. Um, working on the Snapchat. But you can uh, let me know what you think about those polls. And I'll probably put them up. So respond to me. You can uh, catch me. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts now as well as Spotify and Podbean. And now we'll move back. The players are coming back on the court. Getting ready for the tie-breaking set. So here we are. We're tied up. We won the kindness set. We lost the despondency set. And here we are. The final set. The final set, the deciding set, is peace. One of the things I told my seventh grader the other day is that winning and losing is temporary. It does feel temporarily good when you win, and it does feel temporarily terrible when you lose. Ask Duke fans or Carolina fans after their latest matchup. And so I don't mean to discount the fun of winning. I love winning and I hate losing, but it's temporary. And there are things that in tennis, which is where we are here in set three, that seem to be lifelong or perhaps even longer, perhaps even eternal. Things like perseverance, pressing through those, you know, those rough patches, determination and devotion to making your your skills better, spending hours and hours and hours just focusing on your backhand. The relationships that you build, both with yourself, because tennis, when you're playing singles, you're out there. You know, you're on an island. It's just you. And so you learn a lot about who you are and what makes you tick and what fuels you and triggers you and what calms you down. But, but also the relationship that you build with your, with your teammates in the dual matches, with your, with your partner in doubles, that honor that comes along with um, playing the game well, with playing the game right, with calling the, calling the lines honestly and with integrity. Those things are are long-lasting, and and we could probably come up with a ton of other um, aspects that are lifelong. I told Isaac, you know, one of the things, after I told him about uh, winning and losing being temporary, he went out, he was playing a tough match. We were playing the team that beat us in middle school, um, TJ, and and the player was was well-regarded, and Isaac went out, and he wasn't really thinking. He wasn't concerned about what was going to happen. The anticipation was gone. He played fearlessly. He had the flow. You know, he was just, he really was just immersed in each point and each stroke and each forehand. And it showed. He not only enjoyed playing the game, I mean, he had a great time, but he hit amazing shots because his body was loose, his mind was loose, and he was able to just play. And I surely don't do that very often. I don't play the game fearlessly, tennis or life. But you know what? I've tasted it. We all have, haven't we? We've been in that flow. We've been in that zone where time seems to stop, where the dwelling on the past or the focus on the future comes to an end. And we're just in that moment. We're here, you know, we... uh. We're finished with the regular season. 
for my senior, for the four horsemen, as I mentioned at the beginning. We got conference tournament coming up, perhaps regionals if we make it that far, perhaps state if we make it that far. But all in all, just a handful of matches left to watch Sam, to watch these boys play. I mentioned this to my, my mom the other night, that senior night was coming up, and, and she said that she didn't. She hated things like that. It made her sad. And there were plenty of tears that were uh, that were shed, you know, when we had senior night the other night. And I get it. I'm not trying to be smug. I'm really not. The tears that I have inside of me are building up, and I know that they're going to release one of these days, whether it's at graduation, whenever it happens. But when my mom said that, one of the things I thought about was, uh, were the words of Jesus in Revelation when he says that, that he's the Alpha and the Omega. I don't know what all the theology is behind it. I'm not trying to get into that at this point, but he's the beginning and the end. The Christ is the beginning and the end. And so these things that we perceive as beginnings, as endings, senior nights, graduations, they aren't as real maybe as we they're temporary. Let's just put it that way. Because the only beginning, the only end is in the Christ. And so there's a rest in that. There's a peace that comes from that. Even the sadness part of it, even the crying and the realizing that this is the last high school tennis match, perhaps, that I will get to watch my son play, those kinds of things, even that sadness there's a peace in it. I certainly have not attained all this, as Paul says, but I'm pressing on. I got a ton of struggles. You know, I got a lot of struggles. I, I hold on too much. Um, I'm too tight. I'm too wound up. My sympathetic nervous system is in gear, overdrive. I've got traumas in my past. I've got dreads in my future. I worry about my kids. I mean, the slightest twinge of my um, aging body. And I'm, I'm, yeah, what's the meme say? I saw it on Instagram, I guess. It was like, I have a headache and WebMD says, and it will be your last. <laughs> I learned a long time ago to not look up symptoms on the internet, but I struggle with that. I do struggle with fear. I do struggle with anxiety. I've certainly not attained all of this peace in set three, but I have tasted it. I do know where the beginning and the end is. I do believe in that flow, in those eternal values that you can learn by playing the game. And so that being the case, I think the deciding set of peace tips the balance to us. But we don't just play one match. It's not just three sets and then we're done and then that's it. Once the match is over, then we practice. One of the things that I've started telling my kids is to enjoy the game, not have fun. I don't mean that. I don't mean just have fun. I'm not talking about going out and just have a great time. That's part of it. But enjoy the game. Enjoy the aspects of, of working the angles, of moving your opponent from one side to the other, of hitting a, a slice serve or a kick serve or, uh, you know, a drop shot or a backhand or a lob when the guy comes into the net or you learning when to serve in volley. Enjoy those aspects of the game. Enjoy bantering with your opponent. But enjoy those stretches where it's difficult because there are ebbs and flows. You may get up three sets to love. You may get up 
Sam and uh, his partner Jay were up, uh, were down seven to one in a doubles match last year. And they came back and won nine to seven. There are ebbs and flows. There are low points and bad shots and good shots. But enjoy the game. The back and forth, the patience that you learn. Because, you know, losing, it's terrible. <laughs> Even temporarily, it's terrible. And that bitterness, though, it comes because you've tasted the victory. I'm from North Carolina, and so, you know, Duke versus North Carolina, that's a rivalry because there's so much success on both sides. Because both sides have tasted what it means to be at the top. And when you've played the game well, when you've experienced the set of peace when you've seen the light, you know, when you, when you've, when you've been in that flow, then when you aren't, that bitterness is, it's tough to bear. Loss is tough when you have this sense, this great sense of how beautiful life can be. And so I think that bitterness is not to be avoided. You know, I think that the, uh, the losses, the, the tough stretches, those aren't to be shunned or brushed away, but accepted. Because they teach us. We certainly don't like to be there. I'm not in favor of suffering. But it's a real thing. And teachers throughout time have told us that. So in practice, I think it's good to hold on loosely to the exterior. To hold on loosely to the, the accolades and accomplishments that come along with winning with the sorrow that comes along with losing. Allow those things to teach you, but hold loosely to them. But drive hard, push through, press on through those things at last. Put in the time in the off-season. Put in the time at practice. Repetition, 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 practice. And there's an inner and outer to it. You know, there's an inner practice of finding time, of being quiet. You know, if we're talking about the life aspect of the game, I love going to the river and just sitting and talking to the turtles. I've learned their language. They teach me patience. They teach me that it's okay to be quiet. You know, take care of your body, exercise, eat well, do those types of things, you know. Meditate, pray, whatever it is that you do that that helps you to become centered. There is an inner practice. But there's an outer part to it as well. And I think it really can be summed up in one word, and that's encouragement. Because set two, the two that that the set that we lost was despondency, and so much of that is losing heart. One of the things and, and, and we'll see if I can get through this part without crying, but one of the things that I've loved so much is uh, one of the four horsemen, his name is JP. He uh, almost every single match, and he could be playing on an entirely different court, an entirely different set of courts. But at least once a match, you will hear him holler at one of the other players, Good job, Sam. Nice shot, E. That a boy, Luke. He's in a break in his own match, and instead of focusing completely on, his, on, him, on himself, on his own trials, He's taking the moment to shout out to his partners in their singles matches. Encouragement. It's a real thing. When you think about somebody, send them a text. Snap them up. 
Is that a thing you say? I'm not sure. I just started snap. An encouragement not just to win, but to live, you know, to play the game, to find that flow, to find that balance. Because in the end, that's it, right? Balance is tough. It's tough to defend against. It's tough to attack. If you're playing doubles and you've got the court balanced out between the two of you, it's going to be tough to win the point. You got to have your feet balanced. You got to have your your footwork proper. You know, if you're going to hit the uh, if you're going to hit the overhead, you shouldn't be on your back foot. You got to find your balance. Whatever, all of that's true, and that's true in life too. Finding that moment where it's just the strings and the tennis ball colliding, almost like it stops in time. So that's that. We've got our three set match is over. You know, we, we won the set of kindness. We, we lost the set of despondency, but, but that was okay because the deciding set of peace put us over the edge. Kindness, despondency, peace. Richard, Richard Rohr might say order, disorder, and reorder. Or perhaps we could even say life, death, and resurrection. Both overall on the, what did I say, on the meta, but also on a daily basis. Tennis is life, and we play every day. And we win, and we lose. We play well, we play poorly, but in the end, the alpha and the omega, it's not found in winning and losing. The practice, the life, the death, the resurrection, the kindness, the despondency, the peace, the encouragement to each other to keep playing. All right, well, that is the end of episode two. Appreciate y'all listening. Drop some comments, rate me up, rate uh, it on Apple Music and Spotify if you can. Um, Twitter at DTMadness96, Instagram. DT underscore madness. This episode is brought to you by the Church of Six, by the Bucket of Life, and by the future Foundation Tower of Stone. Peace, my friends.